All right, so for the last few weeks, we, uh, I'll just give you the big, the big story. We've been in the book of John for months. Um, I think we're on week 26 or 27 or something like that in our study in the book of John, and we've still got a ways to go. We'll probably be uh, plowing right through Easter in the book of John, and we'll be back in John in our sequence on February 13th, but we, we're getting to John chapter 15. And uh, I don't know if you've heard my dad talk about John 15. Uh, my dad, Steve Larson, he's in Liberia right now. But he, I, just as a young man that was discipled by my dad, uh, John 15 was one of those passages that he encouraged me to memorize, to, to bake into everything about who I am as a person. It was one of those passion projects for him to study John 15. So it's long been one of those passages for me that's, that I go back to. That's been a key uh, formative passage in my life. And so we were getting to it in the context of the book of John, and it sort of felt like one week didn't do it justice. To just preach through John 15, 1 through 17 on one Sunday, we needed some time to kind of pick this thing apart, to understand it, to, to catch some of the nuance that was going on in John 15. And so we decided to take a month and do this with series taking the, the concepts of John 15, the abiding life, and to expand on them. And we've done, uh, this is our fourth week in that expansion. So we started with the theology of the abiding life. What is union with Christ? When Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you, is there something supernatural going on there? What is the abiding life? And so that first week, we explored the theology of John 15 and of Romans 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 and 11 and 12. We talked about just the, the power of the scriptures that talk about our union with Christ and why that is so, so significant. That being a Christian means that we have been united together with Jesus in his death his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. And now we stand with him, with him in this life. That was huge. Again, every time I say those words, I want to go back and re-preach that message. I love that message. Week two uh, was a little bit more challenging. We talked about the enemies of the abiding life. Martin Luther is famous for saying there are three enemies, the word, the flesh, and the devil. And we, we looked at those. We, we talked through what the issues are of, of Satan's active resistance to any one of us living the abiding life. The world and how just if you go the way of the world, it will not lead you towards a life of Jesus. You just kind of, you find it. You get into the rhythm of life, of sports, of work, of, of money, of culture, of social media, whatever it is. All of those things, the river flows away from Jesus, not towards him. And so you have to make intentional choices to not go the way of the world. And then we also have this third enemy, and that is our, our flesh. That our, our natural desires don't take us towards Jesus. You have to be intentional with your choices to overcome some of our, your natural desires, our natural desires, in order to grow in Christ-likeness. We have to choose differently. And so with that, we had these enemies of the abiding life, but every step of the way, Jesus indicates that there's victory, that there's opportunity for you to walk uh, through the barriers, through the difficulties, through the obstacles of the enemies of the abiding life, and you can find great victory in pursuing Jesus. And then last week, Rob talked about the practices of the abiding life. And I loved how he put it. He said, look, 
we've had two sermons on the abiding life. Now let's sit down and have a cup of coffee and let's debrief this. Let's talk about what it looks like for us to try some things that would help cultivate an abiding life. And he gave us eight different practices and by no means were they designed to be do all eight of these things and the math equation adds up and you're suddenly abiding. But rather, hey, I've got some ideas for you on how you can cultivate the abiding life with Jesus. And so there were suggestions, thoughts, ideas from the scriptures, from history, from uh, experience that would help with this abiding life. So practices, things that we can do to help us in this abiding life. So today, um, a little bit about my personality. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a vision guy. If you can paint a picture for why I should do something, then I can get behind it. I can get all in on it. I, for me, that's, that's a huge part of the motivation. I love the picture of the potential future. You know, if you could sit there, I'll say this to my wife, and you could cast vision for why our house would look so much better painted than it does not painted, then I could get super into painting. But if we just say Saturday's painting day, I'm just like, I don't really feel like painting. I don't want to paint. That's just a part of my personality. But with this, I love the idea of painting the picture of what the future could look like when we abide in Jesus. What, what would happen if? What changes? What does your life start to look like? What are some of the things that the, that the scriptures say that if we abide in Jesus, then these things are a part of who you are? And for me, that's, that's what stirs me. That's what challenges me. That's what inspires me. That's what gets me to get excited about the things that Rob talked about last week. When, when I see what the future could look like if I'm abiding in Jesus, then I'm excited about the disciplines and practices that it would take to, to get to that point. So this message is really more for me than it is for any of you. So I'm just going to preach this to myself and hope that you soak something up from it because I, I love this, painting the picture of the future. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. What are the outcomes of the abiding life? When we do life with Jesus, what can we expect? So we are going to use John 15 as our base text today, and then we'll, uh, you might want to have something to write down because there's a lot of scriptures that I'll reference that are great to go and study and spend some time with, uh, but we're really going to be looking out of John 15. So let's start there. The first outcome of the abiding life, Jesus says it in John chapter 15, verse 5, is that we bear much fruit. He says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now, this is a bold declaration from Jesus because there's no maybe to it at all. There's not like a, if you abide in me and I in you, then you have the potential to bear much fruit. That's not the promise of Jesus. This is a promise of Jesus that if you abide in me and I in you, that's the person that bears fruit. Now, my first question was, okay. What's the fruit? If I'm going to bear much fruit, what should I expect? What's that going to look like? And so I want to walk through what the New Testament describes as fruit. It actually goes to a few different places to talk about what that fruit is. The concept of fruit, and I'll just give you the big overarching viewpoint of fruit in the New Testament, is the kingdom activity, the stuff of God. But there are times that it gets really specific. All right, so first of all, let's talk about the kingdom activity or generic kingdom of God fulfillment. This is from one of Jesus' parables. And oftentimes, the fruit of life with God 
is what Jesus talks about in the parables. And so he says this in Matthew 13, 23. He says, as for what is sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and another 30. When somebody hears the word of God and does it, something happens. Something comes out of you. That is, the kingdom of God starts to brew and percolate in you. I could use a cup of coffee right now. Starts to brew and percolate in you and come out. And people around you start to experience the kingdom of God because you were abiding in Christ. So that's the, the big picture. Then there are some very specific ones that we get to see. The second one is sanctification. Sanctification. Now just to uh, give you an idea, the word sanctus comes from, or that's the Latin word, sanctus. Sanctification comes from the Latin word sanctus, which just means holy. So if you're trying to just understand it, it's holification. It's the making holy of a person. Now, we've said this often, that when you come to faith in Jesus, he sees you at that very moment as righteous. You are declared righteous. That's the whole doctrine of justification, that you are declared righteous immediately. But all of our lived experience is that even though Jesus says we're righteous, there's still stuff in us that needs to be made more righteous, that needs to be made holy. Our attitudes, our language, our behaviors, things about us need to be refined and are refined by the presence of God in our lives. That is what the Bible refers to as the process of sanctification, being made holy. So Paul writes this in Romans 6, 20 and 22, 20 through 22. He says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. When you abide in Christ, one of the things that happens, one of the, the fruits that you bear is that your life is made more holy. The things about you, the things about you that are broken, sinful, wicked, those things are refined out of you. So often the Bible talks about the refiner's fire. And I realize that most of us aren't metallurgists. We're not making jewelry. We don't actually get to see the process of taking gold or silver and watching it melt down and seeing the imperfections rise to the surface and somebody skim across the surface and take the imperfections out. I realize that most of us have not seen that process firsthand. But the idea is still there. The refiner's fire is that as things are melted down, they are refined. And that's the process of sanctification that's talked about in our lives, that we are refined by God. As we abide in him, he brings things to mind that don't belong. He shows them to us, gives us the opportunity to address them, to walk through them, to repent from them, to turn them over to Jesus and to walk through and out the other side without them. Think about this for just a second. Hebrews 12 says, uh, let us um, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. But he, he, he talks about the casting off. He says, let us cast off the sin and the things that so easily entangle us. 
Why would the author of Hebrews say cast off sin if you had no ability to do that? If there was no opportunity for you to be refined, the Bible wouldn't make promises like that. But this picture is, as you abide in Jesus, one of the fruits that you bear is that you are becoming more holy. Less like the world, less like Satan, less like the flesh, and you look more like Jesus. You live more like Jesus. You speak more like Jesus. So sanctification is one of the fruits that Jesus is referencing. Paul talks about this. So the, the third one, we talked about the generic kingdom activity. We talked about sanctification. Now the third one is successful apostolic labor. Now I love throwing this one in there. Successful apostolic labor. Paul, when he talks about the apostolic mission, it's taking the gospel and it's advancing it to the nations. It's going into new communities and establishing the gospel, laying foundations, seeing people come to faith, just watching the gospel take root in a new community. So Paul writes this in Philippians 1.22. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. If I'm here and I'm doing the work of the kingdom and I'm serving Jesus and I'm with him, there's fruitful labor. And Paul will go on throughout the book of Philippians to describe that fruitful labor as them coming to faith, churches being planted, Money going to Macedonia, churches being planted there, more churches happening in more places. Paul writes this, and I, I share this because I actually want you to understand that all of us are on an apostolic mission. All of us. You may not have a, an apostolic gift. That's almost irrelevant to understanding this. All of us are on an apostolic mission. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so have I sent you. So you might say, well, I'm sent, but I don't know about an apostle. The word apostolos is just the Greek word sent. As the Father apostled me, now I'm apostling you. I'm sending you to go and carry the name of Jesus into the dark and broken and hurting places of this world. You are sent ones. So when you abide in Christ... Fruit in that effort of seeing the gospel planted and established in the lives of the people around you, your kids, your siblings, your parents, your classmates, your coworkers, your neighbors, your teammates. You start to see gospel establishment in the people around you because you're abiding in Christ. Fruitful labor. The idea is the apostolic mission of God going out. More specifically, let's talk about gospel expansion as in evangelistic work. So Paul says this in Colossians 1.6. This is our fourth one. Uh, evangelistic work. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed the, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The story of Colossae is that the church came to faith in Jesus. Paul was not there. Peter was not there. There wasn't anybody of the, the big names of Jesus' crew that was in Colossae. It was a guy that heard the gospel preached, and he went there, and he started telling people about Jesus, and there was an evangelistic explosion in the town of Colossae. That's the fruit of abiding in Christ, is that you get to see people that don't know Jesus 
come to faith in Jesus. Now, one of our big fears as Christians so often is this whole idea of evangelism. It terrifies a lot of people. If you're terrified of telling somebody that doesn't know Jesus about the good news of Jesus, you're not alone. There are a lot of people that, that struggle in that space. But one of the great, great freedoms that comes from abiding in Christ is that bearing fruit starts to flow out of you. There is still intentionality. But this fruit-bearing effort comes from the presence of Jesus being in you and you being in Jesus, and you bear much fruit. And one of the ways that the Bible describes that fruit is the gospel expanding, increasing, going out from you, and yielding a crop of people coming to faith in Jesus. The last one, number five, the ways that we bear fruit is worship. This is Hebrews 13, 15. It says, through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Part of our fruitfulness as believers, when we're abiding in Christ and he is abiding in us, worship starts to flow out of us more freely and more naturally. As Christ fills our lives and we invest in this relationship with him, worship becomes less of a labor and more of our natural language that we just start to speak. Anybody fluent here in a second language? Raise your hand if you're fluent in a second language. All right. Now, I happen to know, Jason, you're fluent in Chinese. Is that correct? Is it Mandarin? Mandarin. All right. That's pretty impressive. You don't look like a guy that would speak Mandarin. So, yeah. All right. If we ever want a miracle and you just want to stand up and start speaking in Mandarin, we're like, wow. It'd just be fun. Yeah, but you just know the language. So... All right, I've heard, I've heard that one of the ways to tell when you're fluent in a second language is that you start to dream in that language. Is that, anybody else heard that as a, as a mark of when to be fluent? All right. This idea of bearing fruit, the, the fruit of our lips being praise. Think about it. It's just, it's what comes out of us when we're not thinking about it. When we're not being intentional. When we're just in the down moments of our life and we're, we're in a, a low-key time that worship starts to flow out of us. That's evidence of somebody that's abiding in Christ. So for me, when I look at these things and I'm thinking, well, those are all the things that I want in my life. I want to bear fruit. I want successful apostolic labor. I want to be a worshiper. I don't want that to be a, a chore for me to worship. I want worship to flow out of me. I want the gospel to go forth from my mouth. I want to see people changed because I got to speak into their lives. These are the things that I want. I want to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, okay, abide in me and I will abide in you. Then you bear much fruit. It's what comes out of you. All right, we'll come back to that because I get excited about that. You might not be as excited as I am, but I'll get you there. All right, the second one. Joy. Uh, the second thing that happens when we abide in Christ is that your joy may be full. So go to John 15, 11. Jesus summarizes uh, John chapter 15, 1 through 11. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, joy is often elusive for believers, Joy can be one of those hard things to understand, hard things to wrap around. Maybe you show up at church and you're not feeling great. You're not excited. 
and you look around and there's people raising their hands during worship. There's people that are smiling. There's people that are enjoying themselves. And you just think, they have it, I don't. Whatever it is, they have it and I don't. You don't have to raise your hand, but anybody ever felt that way before? Whatever it is, they have it and I don't. It can be a kind of an elusive feeling. We can go through life just feeling a little bit like being a Christian is a grind. It's not, it's not a joy. It's, it's actually kind of difficult. And so one of the things that Jesus offers is when we abide in him and he in us, that joy becomes a part of our lived experience. Now let's understand joy. There's a pastor in Minneapolis named John Piper, and he defines Christian joy as this. He defines it as a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Yes, that's a definition of, of Christian joy. A good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Now, some guys up in Portland did something called the Bible Project. They help us understand how we can find joy. They say it this way. A Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. So it's a, it's a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit. But I appreciated what the Bible Project guys said, that they actually talk about it being this profound decision. That joy is actually a choice. The idea of biblical joy is that it is based on a metric other than personal experience. Did I have a good day? I'm joyful. Did I have a bad day? I'm not joyful. That's not biblical joy at all. Hey, that might be happiness, that might be worldly joy, that might be something else altogether. But biblical joy, Christian joy, actually comes through the choice to honor Jesus, to celebrate our faith, to celebrate him in spite of our lived circumstances. So even if we're going through something difficult, this is why James says, and it's some people's favorite verse, some people's least favorite verse. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. So he's actually calling us to choose joy in the face of trials because it's developing our steadfastness. It's developing our perseverance. It's doing something important to us. Difficult things do something important. And so we consider it joy that God would trust us to grow. And he would trust us with difficult things. So Jesus says, I've told you these things, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus has communicated that when we abide in him, his joy is in us and our joy may be complete. He wants us to experience all of the joy that is possible for a human to experience. There's a set way for that joy to be experienced, though. It's not through better circumstances. It's through the abiding relationship. That's the difference. We don't wait for our circumstances to change so that we can be more joyful. We abide in Christ, and then what happens is he produces in us joy to interpret the circumstances that we're facing through. He actually gives us a new lens as opposed to new circumstances. That's biblical joy. A new lens, not new circumstances. When we are abiding in Jesus and Jesus in us, 
our whole perspective on life is changed. We've been talking about this, that, uh, that one of the core elements of understanding the abiding life, life with Jesus, is that he is the treasure. That Jesus is the goal. Jesus told a parable about the pearl of great price. There's a pearl merchant. He's seen pearls all over the world, and he finds this one pearl that's better than any other pearl. He goes and sells literally everything he has so that he can get that one pearl. And Jesus is saying, that's me talks about a man finding a treasure in a field and he goes and sells everything that he has so that he can buy up the whole field so that the treasure is his, is his. and he says that's me I'm, I'm the goal I'm the treasure that's where joy comes from when we know that we have the pearl of great price the treasure that has changed the entirety of human history and it's in our possession. Every other circumstance is interpreted through that lens. Everything else that we face in life is seen through the perspective of saying, I already have life's greatest pursuit. It's mine. I possess it. I am not still striving for the thing. I have it. So whatever I face, I can take because I have the thing that all of life is about. Jesus himself, the pearl of great price. Now the good feeling in the soul is a ministry of Jesus. Paul talks about it being the fruit of the Spirit. Joy is the second listed fruit of the Spirit that, that when we walk by the Spirit, using Jesus' words, when we abide in him, that joy is produced in us. The Spirit manufactures it, makes it available to us, gives it to us to use to see the world through. I'm trying to be really careful with this because so often we can go based on our experiences. We can have a bad day and struggle with the idea of joy. But Jesus is actually trying to help us understand a different concept of joy than that. And when you abide in Christ and he in you, you have a new lens. And joy is available to you because of that new lens. You can see the world differently because of that new lens. All right, last one. Is that you will love one another. Okay, so Jesus says this in John 15, 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So this part of the invitation is that we would experience Trinitarian love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Live in my love. Rest in my love. Grow in my love. Enjoy my love. Exist in my love. Jesus wants us to understand that. And then he says this in John 15, 12. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, so Jesus changes his language a little bit here. He actually issues a commandment. The abiding benefit is that we would exist in the love of God. When you abide in Christ and he in you, you are fully engulfed in the love of God. There's no more love out there that you need to strive for. It's, again, yours. You have it. 
You get to enjoy it and rest in it and be in it and live your life in the context of being fully loved by God. It's yours. And then the commandment comes. Share it. Share my love. So what Jesus does with this one is he says, as you abide in me and I in you, you've got it. All the love that I have to give, all the love that the Father has to give is yours. You have it. And then he calls us into a life where we would actually share that love with one another. And so the abiding life, to abide in Jesus and he in us, produces a life where we are fully loved by God. But then there's this issue that Jesus would have that if we would experience God's love and abide in it and rest in it, but not share it, there's, there's a, a misunderstanding of the concept of God's love. It's not just for you, and it's never been just for you. He wants you fully and completely to abide in his love, but he also wants that other people would experience that Trinitarian love, that complete and total love of the Father given through Jesus and then through you that somebody else might experience it. That somebody else might know the love of God. Now, it's been really interesting the last couple of weeks as we've prayed different families out. They've, they've shared a lot about this experience of being together. And one of the great joys of testimony is that we get to experience something. I can preach it up here that we should love one another, and then they can testify to the fact that they were loved and they got the opportunity to express love, and it, it bound them to this church family. It joined them together in the experience of God's love. So what we learn is that we see this idea of loving one another is designed to be a reinforcement of the love that God has for us through Jesus. So Jesus says, abide in my love. But then this is my commandment, that you would love one another. That you would share it. Because what that does is that teaches us what the love of God feels like. We start to get familiar with the love that we receive from Jesus when we start to see it in the love that we have for each other. And it gets reinforced and our experience of God's love grows because we've received it from Jesus and we've given it to one another. We've received it from one another and it, it tastes like what we get from God. I go back and forth on whether to have you raise your hand or not. So this one I won't. But how many of you have had a time in your life where maybe you've had a hard time, I'll just say, feeling loved by God, yet there was a church community around you that loved you and reminded you of the love of God? I see a lot of nods, so that counts as a, that counts as a hand raise. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of times where our experience with God maybe we just we hit a little blockage in our abiding relationship, we're struggling to uh, to abide in him and he in us, to abide in his love, and we're not quite in that place where, where we can feel like God's love is, is on us. But then somebody from the family of God brings that love into our life. And it's almost like reteaching us what it feels like to be loved by God. It reminds us that this is happening. 
What we're going to see when we get back into the rhythm of John, the rest of John 15, John 16, John 17, this theme of Jesus saying, you need to love each other because that's how the world will see me and know that I'm real. Is when you not just experience my love like for yourself, but when you share it, that's when the world is going to know that I'm real, that I'm the Messiah. And so the lived out experience of receiving Jesus' love and then giving it, it puts on display the reality of the gospel. Again, I'm going to close off by saying this. For me, when I think of if I abide in Jesus, then I bear much fruit, I experience joy, and I love my fellow believers in Christ. Those are three things that I want to be markers in my life. I don't, there's not too many people that I know that are in the category of Christians that are saying, I don't want any of those things. Most Christians that I've met, I won't say all just because I'm sure there's somebody out there. Most Christians that I've met would say, I want to be a fruit-bearing person. I want to be a joyful person. I want to be a loving person. And Jesus is simplifying it by saying, abide in me and I in you. And those things flow. Those things are the natural output of a person that abides in me and I in him. That rests in me and I in her. That lives in me and I in him. The call of abiding in Jesus, doing life with him, produces the life that so many of us dream about. So if, if there's anything that we wanted to encourage you with on this series, from this series, it's, I mean, you, if you remember, we started with the postures of life over God, life of, under God, life from God, or life for God. These different postures that we try and just, we, we kind of pick up maybe some wrong ways of approaching God. But then there's this idea of life with God where, where it is relational. It's engaging with him. It's experiencing his presence. And we learn that from that comes just this this outflow of the presence of God. We bear fruit. There's joy that pours out of us. There's love that pours out of us. And for so many of us, that's the dream. So the call is to abide. Now we could say that till we're blue in the face. But the reality is so many of us live on that sort of roller coaster where we have great seasons of abiding and then we struggle for a while. Part of my hope for this series wasn't to just set it and forget it and say, okay, I preached it. Everybody's going to abide in Jesus for the next 35 years and we're all good. It's just the reiterated call to abide in Christ. That if at any point in the recent history, your posture has shifted away from life with God, this is a call to do life with him. An invitation back to life with him where you would experience his presence in you. You're doing your life in him, and then all of the outflow is the stuff that we dream about as followers of Jesus. That's why we wanted to take time with this. That's why we wanted to, to soak in this for a bit. Next week at Anthem Anywhere, uh, if you're a part of the leadership team, one of the things that I encouraged in there was just some, some time of testimony to share from the abiding life, experiences, things that you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, just the ability for people at an anthem anywhere to testify to the abiding life 
If you've had an experience of, of abiding in Christ, whether it's from this month or even just from the recent history, and you would be willing to share that, please, please, please tell the person that's listed as the leader on your anthem anywhere that you'd love to share because we need to hear those stories. We need to see what it's like to live it out in day-to-day -day life in different contexts and different spheres so that we can just, again, it's part of our growth. It's part of our experience to see, okay, I know what that looks like. I know what that feels like, and I want to walk in that. It's our dream. Ah, I'll just stop. I was going to say more. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, just this idea of being a church that abides in you makes me smile. Lord, I, I, do, I do want us to get it. I want us to enjoy you. I want the people in, in the Caneo Valley in Ventura County to be invited into life with you. I want them to see and experience your presence because there's a group of people in our community that are abiding in you and you're just there, flowing out of us, bearing fruit, demonstrating joy, and loving one another. So Lord, would would you just call us to this? Pray for anybody that, that's complicating it unnecessarily, Lord, that, that we, would just, we would enjoy the simplicity of John 15 while understanding the call to a life of pursuing you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for, for bringing us to this place. We ask that you would abide in us and us in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.